Book Ten, Chapter Four of Camilla. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Camilla, or A Picture of Youth, by Fanny Burney, Chapter Four. Hints upon national prejudice. With mingled disquietude and distaste, Melmond saw the reluctance of Indiana to quit town and that he was less than a cipher with her upon the last evening's assembly, where, without deigning to bestow one look upon him, she chattered, smiled, and fluttered with every one else, undisguisedly betraying that whom she should soon have alone, and have always, should not rob of even one precious moment this last splendid blaze of general admiration. He sighed and, in common with the hapless perverseness of mortals, thought he had thrown away in Eugenia a gem richer than all her tribe, Shakespeare. Camilla, whose heart, however dead to joy, was invariably open to tenderness, was melted with fond emotions in the idea of again meeting her beloved Eugenia, and ready for her journey merely with the light. Soon after she was dressed, a housemaid rapping at her door said, "'Pray, ma'am, is Miss Linmere with you?' "'No.' Presently Miss Margland came herself. "'Pray, Miss Camilla, do you know anything of Miss Linmere? It's the oddest thing in the world where she can be.' Camilla now went forth to aid the search. Melmond, who was waiting to hand her into the carriage, looked amazed at the inquiry. It soon, however, was clear that she was nowhere in the house, and, after sundry examinations and researches, one of the maids was brought to confess having aided her, in the middle of the night, to go into the street, where she was handed into a post-chaise by Mr. MacDersey. Melmond appeared thunderstruck, an action so unexpected at the period of a solemn engagement which waited but the journey to Cleves for being completed, seemed to him at first incredible. But when Miss Margland exclaimed, "'Oh, pursue her, Mr. Melmond! Order your horse and gallop to Scotland immediately!' he gravely and rather dryly answered, "'By no means, ma'am. The man who has the honour of her preference,' is the only one who can have any hope to make her happy. I have no ambition for a hand that has been voluntarily held out to another. He then returned quietly to his own lodgings, far more indignant than hurt at this abrupt conclusion of a connection which, though it had opened to him as a promise of Elysium, was closing with every menace of mutual discontent. Camilla was truly concerned, and not merely for the future risk run by her cousin in this rash flight, but for the new disappointment to her uncle. She was obliged, however, to bestow her whole attention upon Miss Margland, whose tribulation was yet greater, and who, in losing thus her pupil, lost the expected reward of near thirteen years of unwilling attendance. She had by no means, indeed, merited this treachery from Indiana, whom, though incapable to instruct in much good, she had sedulously guarded from all evil. To return to Sir Hugh without her charge, without indeed either of the young ladies who were put under her care, she had not courage, nor could Camilla so little feel for her distress as to request it. 
an express therefore was ordered to cleves for informing him of these ill tidings with a very elaborate panegyric from miss margland of her own conduct and a desire to know if she should remain in town till something transpired concerning indiana the express was but just gone when a packet which ought to have arrived two days before by the stage was delivered to camilla its intention was merely to convey more speedily a letter from lavinia containing the terrible information that mr clykes had just been at etherington himself to deliver in his accounts and press immediate payment their father lavinia said conceived the whole some imposition till the man produced the papers signed by his daughter she had then been called in and obliged to confess her knowledge of the transaction she would avoid she said particulars that could be only uselessly afflicting but the interview had ended in their father's agreeing to pay when it should be possible the sums actually delivered to the creditors and for which mr clykes could produce their own receipts but refusing positively and absolutely any gratuity whatsoever from detestation of so dangerous and seductive a species of trade as clandestine and illegal money-lending to minors the man much provoked said a friend of his had been used far more handsomely by sir hugh tyrold but finding his remonstrances vain acknowledged the law against him for the interest but threatened to send in an account for his own trouble in collecting and paying the bills that he would dispute for validity in any court of justice to which he could be summoned and in leaving the house he menaced an immediate writ if all he could legally claim were not paid the next day unless a new bond were properly signed with a promise to abide by that already drawn up their father she was forced to confess had now lent his every guinea for the debts of clermont to sir hugh and was at this instant deliberating to whom he should apply but desired meanwhile an exact statement of the debts which this man had in commission to discharge the letter concluded with lavinia's unfeigned grief in the task of writing it camilla read it with a distraction that made it wholly unintelligible to her yet could not read it a second time her eyes became dim her faculties confused and she rather felt deprived of the power of thinking than filled with any new and dreadful subjects for rumination in this state the letter on the floor her eyes staring around yet looking vacant and searching nothing she was called to lord o'lerney who begged the honour of a conference with her upon business she shook her head in token of denial but could not speak the servant looked amazed yet brought her a second message that his lordship was extremely sorry to torment her but wished to communicate something concerning mr macdersey she then faintly articulated i can see nobody still the same dreadful vacuity superseded her sensibility till soon after she received a note from lady isabella irby desiring to be admitted to a short conversation with her upon the part of lord o'lerney with the name of lady isabella irby recurred the remembrance that she was a favourite of edgar and bursting into tears she consented to the interview which took place immediately the terrible state in which she appeared was naturally though not justly attributed by her ladyship to the elopement of her cousin while camilla called by her sight to softer regrets beheld again in mental view the loved and gentle image of edgar 
Lady Isabella apologised politely but briefly for her intrusion, saying, My lord O'Learney, whose judgment is never in any danger, but where warped by his wish of giving pleasure, insists upon it that you will be less incommoded by a quick, forced admission of me than of himself. Nobody else will think so, but it is not easy to refuse him, so here I am. The motive of this intrusion you can but too readily divine. Lord O'Learney is truly concerned at this rash action in his kinsman, which he learnt by an accidental call at his lodgings, where various circumstances had just made it known. He could not rest without desiring to see some part of the young lady's family, and making an offer of his own best services with respect to some arrangement for her future establishment. It is for this purpose you have been so importunately hurried, Lord O'Learney wishing to make the first news that is sent to Sir Hugh Tyrold less alarming, by stating at once what he can communicate concerning Mr. MacDersey. Camilla, who only now recollected that Mr. MacDersey was related to Lord O'Learney, was softened into some attention, and much gratitude for his goodness, and for her ladyship's benevolence in being its messenger. "'Will you then,' said Lady Isabella, "'now you understand the purport of his visit, "'see Lord O'Learney himself. "'He can give you much better and clearer documents than I can, "'and it is always the best and shortest mode to deal with principles.' "'Camilla mechanically complied, "'and Lady Isabella sent her footman with a note to his lordship, "'who was waiting at her house in Park Lane. "'The discourse still fell wholly upon Lady Isabella.' Camilla, lost alternately in misery and absence, spoke not, heard not, yet former scenes, though not present circumstances, were brought to her mind by the object before her, and, almost with reverence, she looked at the favourite of Edgar, in whose sweetness of countenance, good sense, delicacy, and propriety, she conceived herself reading every moment the causes of his approbation. "'Ah, oh, why?' thought she, while unable to reply or to listen to what was said, why knew I not this charming woman, while yet he took an interest in my conduct and connections? Perhaps her gentle wisdom might have drawn me into its own path. How would he have delighted to have seen me under such influence? How now, even now, lost to him as I am, would he generously rejoice— could he view the condescending partiality of looks and manner that seemed to denote her disposition to kindness. Lord O'Learney soon joined them, and after thanking Camilla for granting and his ambassadress for obtaining him an audience, said, I have been eager for the honour of a conference with Miss Tyrold, in the hope of somewhat alleviating the fears for the future that may naturally join with displeasure for the present, from the very unadvised step of this morning. But, however wrong the manner in which this marriage may be effected, the alliance in itself will not, I hope, be so disadvantageous as matches of this expeditious character prove in general. The actual possessions of MacDersey are, indeed, far beneath what Miss Linmere, with her uncommon claims, might demand, but... His expectations are considerable and well-founded, and his family will all come forward to meet her with every mark of respect for which, as its head, I shall lead the way. He is honest, 
honourable and good-natured, not particularly endowed with judgment or discretion, but by no means wanting in parts, though they are rather wild and eccentric. His lordship then gave a full and satisfactory detail of the present state and future hopes of his kinsman, and added that it should be his own immediate care to endeavour to secure for the fair bride a fixed settlement from the rich old cousin who had long promised to make MacDersey his heir. He told Camilla to write this without delay to the young lady's uncle, with full leave to use his name and authority. At all times, he continued, it is necessary to be quick and as explicit as possible in representing what can conciliate an adventure of this sort, of which the clandestine measure implies on one side, if not on both, something wrong, but most especially it is necessary to use speed where the flight is made with an Hibernian, for with the English in general it is nearly enough that a man should be born in Ireland to decide him for a fortune-hunter. If you lived, however, in that country, you would see the matter pretty equally arranged, and that there are not more of our penniless bows who return laden with the commodity of rich wives than of those better circumstanced who bring home wives with more estimable dowries. He then added that it was from Miss Linmere herself he had learnt the residence of Camilla in Grosvenor Square, for having made some acquaintance with her at one of Mrs. Burlington's evening parties, he had heard she was a niece of Sir Hugh Tyrold, and immediately inquired after her fair kinswoman, whom he had seen at Tunbridge. Camilla thanked him for remembering her, and Lady Isabella, with a countenance that implied approbation in the remark, said, I have never once heard of Miss Tyrold at the assemblies of this house. She quietly replied she had never been present at them, but a look of sensibility with which her eyes dropped spoke more than she intended of concern at their existence, or at least frequency. "'Your lovely young hostess,' said Lord O'Lurney, "'has entered the world at too early an hour to be aware of the surfeit she is preparing herself by this unremitting luxury of pleasure, but I know so well her innocence and good qualities that I doubt not but the error will bring its own cure, and she will gladly return to the literary and elegant intercourse which she has just now given up for one so much more tumultuous. "'I am glad you still think so, my lord,' said Lady Isabella, also looking down. "'She is a very sweet creature, and the little I have seen of her made me, while in her sight, warmly her well-wisher.' Nevertheless, I should rather see any young person for whom I was much interested, unless endowed with the very remarkable forbearance of Miss Tyrold, under her influence after the period your lordship expects to return, than during its interregnum. Camilla disavowed all claim to such praise, blushing both for her friend and herself at what was said. Lord O'Lurney, looking concerned, paused and then answered, you know my partiality for mrs burlington yet i always see with fresh respect the courage with which my dear lady isabella casts aside her native reserve and timidity where she thinks a hint an intimation may do good or avert dangers his eye was then fixed upon camilla who surprised turned hastily to lady isabella and saw a tender compassion in her countenance that confirmed the interpretation of Lord O'Lurney, 
joined with a modest confusion that seemed afraid or ashamed of what had escaped her. Grateful for herself, but extremely grieved for the idea that seemed to have gone forth of Mrs. Burlington, she felt a tear start into her eye. She chased it with as little emotion as she could shew, and Lord O'Learney, with an air of gayer kindness, said, "'As we must now, Miss Tyrold, account ourselves to be somewhat allied, you permit me, I hope, to recommend my gallant cousin to your protection with Sir Hugh?' "'That he has his share of the wildness.' the blunders, the eccentricities, and the rodomontade which form, with you English, our stationary national character, must not be denied. But he has also, which may equally, I hope, be given us in the lump, generosity, spirit, and good intentions. With all this, he was here interrupted, the door being suddenly burst open by Mrs. Mitten, who entered, exclaiming, "'Lord, miss, what a sad thing this is!' I declare it's put me quite into a quiver, and all Winchester's quite in an uproar, as one might say. You never saw how everybody's in a turmoil. Here ended the little interval of horror in Camilla. Mrs. Mitten and Mr. Clykes seemed to her as one, yet that already her cousin's elopement should have spread so near home seemed impossible. When, she cried, were you in Winchester? And how came this affair known to you? None! Why, my dear miss, it was there it all happened. I come through it with Mr. Denell, who was so obliging as to bring me to town for a little business I've got to do, and next week he'll take me back again. For as to poor little Mrs. Lisson, she'll be quite lost without me. She don't know her right hand from her left, as one may say. But how should she, poor child? Why, she's but a baby. What's fifteen, and she's no more? We'll talk of that, said Camilla, colouring at her loquacious familiarity some other time, and attempted to beg Lord O'Learney would finish what he was saying. But Mrs. Mitten somewhat affronted cried, Lord, only think of your sitting here talking and making yourself so comfortable, just as if nothing was the matter, when everybody else is in such a taking as never was the like. I must say, as to that, a gentleman more liked and in more respect never was, I believe, and I can't say but what I'm very sorry myself for what Mr. Clykes has done. However, I told you, you know, you'd best not provoke him, for though there can't be a better sort of man, he'll leave no stone unturned to get his money. For heaven's sake, cried Camilla, startled, what, what, why, Lord, miss, don't you know your papa's took up? He's put in Winchester prison for that debt, you know. The breath of Camilla instantly stopped, and senseless, lifeless, she sunk upon the floor. Lord O'Learney quitted the room in great concern to call some female assistance, but Lady Isabella remained, contributing with equal tenderness and judgment to her aid, though much personally affected by the incident. Her recovery was quick, but it was only to despair, to screams rather than lamentations, to cries rather than tears. Her reason felt the shock as forcibly as her heart. The one seemed tottering on its seat, the other bursting its abode. Words of alarming incoherency proclaimed the danger menacing her intellects, while agonies nearly convulsive distorted her features and writhed her form. 
unaffectedly shocked, yet not venturing upon so slight an acquaintance to interfere, Lady Isabella uttered gently but impressively her good wishes and concern, and glided away. The nearly distracted Camilla saw not that she went, and knew no longer that she had been in the room. She held her forehead one moment, called for death the next, and the next wildly deprecated eternal punishment. But as the horror, nearly intolerable, of this first abrupt blow gave way, the desire of flying instantly to her father was the symptom of restored recollection. Hastening then to Miss Margland, she conjured her, by all that was most affecting, to set out immediately for Winchester. But Miss Margland, though she spared not the most severe attacks upon the already self-condemned and nearly demolished Camilla, always found something relative to herself that was more pressing than what could regard any other, and declared she could not stir from town till she received an answer from Sir Hugh. Camilla besought at least to have the carriage, but of this she asserted herself at present the indisputable mistress, and as the express might come back in a few hours, with directions that she should set off immediately, she would not listen to parting with it. Camilla, frantic to be gone, flew then downstairs and called to the porter in the hall that someone should instantly seek her a chaise, coach, or any conveyance, whatever, that could carry her to Winchester. She perceived not that Lady Isabella, waiting for her footman who had accidentally gone on further upon some message, now opened the door of the parlour where Lord O'Learney was conversing with her upon what had happened. She was flying back, though not knowing whither nor which way she turned, when Lord O'Learney, gently stopping her, asked why she would not, on such an emergence, apply for the carriage of Mrs. Burlington. Lady Isabella seconded the motion by a soft but just hint of the danger of her taking such a journey in a hired carriage entirely unprotected. She had scarce consideration enough left to either thank or understand them, yet mechanically followed their counsel and went to Mrs. Burlington. Lord O'Learney, deeply touched by her distress, sending in a servant at the same time with his name and following, while Lady Isabella, too much interested to go till something was decided, quietly shut herself into the parlour, there to wait his lordship's information. The request for the carriage was, indeed, rather made by him than by Camilla, who, when she entered the room and would have spoken, found herself deprived of the power of utterance, and looked a picture of speechless dismay. The tender feelings of Mrs. Burlington were all immediately awakened by this sight, and she eagerly answered Lord O'Learney that both her carriage and herself should be devoted to her distressed friend. Yet the first emotion over, she recollected an engagement she could not break, though one she hesitated to mention, and at last only alluded to unexplained, though making known it was insurmountable, while the colour of which her late hours had robbed her lovely cheeks returned to them as she stammered her retraction. The next day, however, she was beginning to promise, but Camilla, to whom the next minute seemed endless, flew down again to the hall, to supplicate the first footman she could meet, to run and order any sort of carriage he could find, with but barely sufficient recollection to refrain running out with that view herself. Lady Isabella, again coming forth, 
entreated to know if there were any commission, any possible service she could herself perform. Camilla thanked her without knowing what she said, and Lord O'Learney, who was descending the stairs, repeated similar offers. But, wild with affright, or shuddering with horror, she passed without hearing or observing him. To see a young creature, in a state so deplorable, and to consider her as travelling without any friend or support, in so shaken a condition to visit an imprisoned father, touched these benign observers with the sincerest commiseration. And the connection of a part of his family forming at this moment with a branch of her own, induced Lord O'Learney to believe he was almost bound to take care of her himself. "'And yet,' said he to Lady Isabella, "'though I am old enough to be her grandfather, the world, should I travel with her, might impute my assistance to a species of admiration which I hope to experience no more, as witness my trusting myself so much with Lady Isabella Irby.' Lady Isabella, from the quick coincidence of similar feelings, instantly conceived his wishes and paused to weigh their possibility. A short consideration was sufficient for this purpose. It brought to her memory her various engagements, but it represented at the same time to her benevolence that they would be all, by the performance of one good action, more honoured in the breach than the observance. She sent, therefore, a message after Camilla, entreating a short conference. Camilla, who was trying to comprehend some further account from Mrs. Mitten, silently but hastily obeyed the call, and her look of wild anguish would have fixed the benign intention of Lady Isabella, had it been wavering. In a simple phrase, but with a manner the most delicate, her ladyship then offered to conduct her to Winchester. A service so unexpected, a goodness so consoling, instantly brought Camilla to the use of her frightened-away faculties, but with sensations of gratitude so forcible that Lord O'Learney with difficulty saved her from falling at the feet of his amiable friend, and with yet more difficulty restrained his own knees from doing her that homage, and still the more strongly he felt this act of exertion from the disappointment he had just endured through the failure of his favourite Mrs. Burlington. No time was to be lost, Lady Isabella, determined to do well what she once undertook to do at all, she went to Park Lane to make known her excursion and arrange some affairs, and then instantly returned in her own post-chaise and four horses for Camilla, who was driven from the metropolis. End of Book 10, Chapter 4 Recording by Felicity Campbell Book 1 for me.com Whanganui, New Zealand